Welcome to a special edition of my podcast. What I thought I would do is draw together some of the podcasts in which we were discussing living with the film crew, living with Downton Abbey. Of course, there's one when Julian Fellows kindly joined me in the library at the castle. And there's another one when John Guntill, our castle manager, discussed filming A New Era, which was basically a year ago. Isn't that extraordinary? And now you're going to be seeing it in the cinema. I thought we'd start this special podcast with, of course, Julian Fellows, both a dear friend and extraordinary creator and scriptwriter of Downton Abbey. He has many other books, scripts and roles he's played in his life as an actor to his name. But I think he's always going to be remembered for Downton Abbey. And he begins to tell you all why he chose Highclere Castle to be Downton Abbey. You know, this house has been part of my life for 10 years now. So uh, it is always a slightly sort of uh, a mixture of nostalgia and affection when I come down the drive and there's the house. It is extraordinary, isn't it? Because I remember when you and Emma came and stayed as our guests and friends before Downton. And there's almost a before Downton and after Downton in our life. And it has been the most amazing journey. And I'm so grateful that Highclere and George and I have been part of it. And it has, and I'm glad also that I hope it hasn't changed our friendship because it's always challenging when you've got this phenomenal, which has sailed around the world into people's lives and underneath it, a friendship of just four people. But... To go back to the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, can I ask you, and I think people would love to know, why did you choose Highclere? Why was Highclere in the running, Julian? Well, uh, it was long before Downton. uh, And I'd come here, I forget now why, but I I was here for something. And I was looking around and I thought, this is a marvellous house for a narrative because it's very big, it's very impressive, it's very this and this and this, but it's tremendously straightforward. You, you don't get lost here. There's a very clear line of rooms around the hall, there's a clear line of bedrooms around the gallery, and there's also the added advantage that the door to the kitchens is in the saloon, it's in the middle of the house. So that whole side of the narrative is not going to get lost. And, and so I tried to use it for a version I was making of Little Lord Fauntleroy a long time ago uh, in the 80s. And I can't remember now why it didn't work and we ended up at Eastner. But then again, um, some years later, when my writing career was getting going and I'd written a script called Gosford Park for the American director, Robert Altman, uh, and I wanted this house for that. But uh, Bob Altman had a theory because he, what he liked to do was cast star actors in all the roles. So they would have tiny parts sometimes, these leading actors and actresses. Uh, and that was his sort of signature, really. And he thought, whether he was right or not, that they would only do it if they could sleep in their own bed. And that meant that if they had a day off filming, it was really a day off and they weren't stuck in some provincial town trying to see a movie. Uh, And so he insisted on a house near London and we ended up at Rootham. 
a lovely house, actually, and, house. And, it, and it worked very well for the film. But that, that was why this time uh, with Downton, it was my third go and it proved <laughs> to be third time lucky. Well, thank you, because I remember actually your wonderful wife, Emma, calling me on, on my mobile and saying, Fiona, there's, there's something in the offing. And I remember that and I thought, well, well, if I had thought that when I'd last seen her, maybe it was a raised eyebrow, but you're never quite sure what... It is extraordinary how you can have some sort of empathy. And then we got a call from a location manager. Um, and every, and you, I remember you coming here and with Gareth Neem, who we've got to know well as well, which has been a joy. And, and you thought you'd found the perfect place at the first place you'd seen. But then tell me what happened. Well, of course... <laughs> Uh, it's rather like some people when shopping. I mean, I slightly have this with Emma. That she'll, if, if she wants to go shopping and she goes into the first shop and there is exactly what she's looking for, she can't buy it because that would deprive <laughs> herself of the whole shopping experience. So she then has to go to 47 shops, none of which have anything better than the one she saw in the first one. And she comes back, and of course, sometimes it's sold. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I never understand that. As, uh, my way of shopping is to go into the first shop, see what I'm looking for, buy it and go home, and the whole thing's over. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, a great success. But no, we then trailed off round practically every house in England. Uh, and then there was a moment, because it was set in Yorkshire, when it was going to be made in Yorkshire, out of y Yorkshire Studios or whatever it was. And then we looked at some very nice houses, and you know, but then that idea died, and they wanted to make it out of London and have the studio side of it at Ealing. And finally, we woke up one day when we were doing one of the rounds of these houses and got down to breakfast, and, and Gareth said to me, do you think it's time we went back to Highclere. And I said, yes. And then, then that was it. And then we, we knew we were going to use Highclere. Downton Abbey, A New Era, was, of course, filmed during COVID. It was made during April, May and probably half of June here at Highclere, where we were more or less still shut down. And John Gundel, our castle manager, shares with you some of the stories from behind the scenes about shooting in this very difficult and challenging time. It was a great achievement and I really hope everyone's going to have enjoyed or enjoy seeing the film. I spent more time this year than any other Downton filming visit, television series or the first film, in their unit base because that is where... Which, just to explain, is on our large coach car park. Yes, this yes. I mean, it, over, it, yeah. it's where they, they set up all their various makeup lorries and costume lorries and they, they have a whole production office up there. Each actor has their own space up there, catering up there. So it, it's their, literally their village, their existence. And I spent more time up there than ever previously because I had to go up regularly to, to visit their on-site medical testing centre and, and, and see the nurses who would test us. And then, then I spent the next hour with, with a furiously runny nose. But, um, you know, it, it was a small price to pay and everyone had to do it. And it was very regimented. And that wonderful one-way system that we've all become so <laughs> used to, you had to walk in one way and out the other way. And there were barriers and woe betide you if you were in a hurry and tried to skip the barriers. And, and that, that was something that was very different this year. Barriers, arrows on the floors of marquees, 
no entry signs, entry signs over there, and hand gel pots, sanitizers, face masks. Of course, when they're in front of the camera, the actors are not seen wearing face masks, but any other time, mm. everyone, including so those in front of the camera, that were to be in front of the camera, were wearing and complying with a very strict level of hygiene, which they had to. If you incurred a hole under the waterline with yes. a positive test, the ship was gone. I don't know about any filming that uh, took place away from Highclere. I'm not aware they had any challenges, but certainly at Highclere, that the small cohort of Highclere staff that work closely and therefore came into proximity with the, the cast and crew tested regularly, as you've said, the cast and crew tested regularly, it worked. They provided a very secure environment. It was very different because yourself and myself have seen the, the various series of television programmes filmed and the first film, which didn't have to comply with any of this. But, no. but that even the extra space that the filming logistical side needed, extra marquees and things, they went uh, above and beyond the protocols that were in yes. place to keep the show on the road, quite literally. And as we know, the film is in cinemas in 2022. My God, Mike, can you believe it's another year? Another year. And who knows whether there will be a third film, but let's get the second film into the cinemas and I will certainly take my children, as I did with the first film, and sit in the dark back row of of Salisbury Cinema and and watch it. With popcorn, I mean, I I think I have been to the cinemas, you know, in the last couple of months and it, it is so nice having an outing and going to sit in, sit in a cinema eating popcorn and things I used to probably go to the cinema once a week and then I think in the last year or year and a half I've been twice it is extraordinary yes and coming back to what I just said a moment yeah. ago about the challenges that people faced obviously it was wonderful for the business at Highclere to welcome another film back but from a, a social point of view it was amazingly uplifting and, and and I saw it in the staff that have worked with Downton visits and, and filming before it was the first social interaction we'd had with people that we knew before yes. in that period of time I, I haven't seen my parents for over 18 months but I was meeting Downton people who some of whom have been on it from the very first television series so yes they're, they're work colleagues and associates but when, when someone has worked with you for over 10 12 years there, there is a, 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 a sort of social appreciation and I was able to see the Downton people more than I was my own family so that was a great interaction. It was as well. very early starts, John. I can't thank you enough. As you know, I'm not brilliant first thing in the morning. I'm slow out of bed. You were amazing because you were getting up five fifteen to get to. Yeah, my my alarm, my alarm clock went at five fifteen to accommodate the mornings and the long days. I mean, it, yeah. it's an industry that works very hard and does very long days. And um, but but we're used to to that, create you know, something and, that gives many people pleasure. I hope in this case, I'm sure it will give us all an immense amount of pleasure and it's fun and and moving as well. So much was shot at Highclere. I think Highclere will always look beautiful. It's always my favourite character, which is always the question I'm asked. Which is your favourite character? Yes, well, Highclere Castle. Yes, and, and I mean, it, it is an art form and I have no doubt it will look amazing on, on the big screen. But 
a lot of hard work went into getting it yes. there, over and above the, the, the normal skills that yes. every film crew brings to making a film. The extra layer this time it being the, huge, the, the extra it? distance people I mean, had to go huge. to keep safe and keep the cameras rolling, which, which they did. Before the films, the first one, and of course, A New Era, there were six years of making a TV series. Throughout the whole of those six years, and in fact for both the films, the location director was a man called Sparky, or Mark Ellis to give him his proper name. It has been such a joy working with him amongst the other crew. And one of the funniest podcasts is the one with both Sparky and John and myself. So I would really recommend you listening to that in its entirety, but otherwise I really hope you'll enjoy this clip. The first time I came here, it was a really cold, wintry, grey morning and the house would just look dark and cold and, you know, and didn't look inviting. But then I came in the, in the summer, you know, in the spring when we started shooting and the sun was hit, it hit the, the side of it and it was just this lovely, golden, beautiful house. So castle, I thought, yeah, what, you know, what an, what an amazing place. And the fact is, every time I come here now, I always count how many times I've been up that driveway. You know, you normally shout too many. You tell me off to go around the back, but um, <laughs> but you know, but and every time I come here, it's just like coming home. It really it's is. It's, it's lovely. It's but it's place. all the people, isn't it? Because you know, every day started with the catering trucks and breakfast, and yep. John and Diana Moyes, the housekeeper, yeah. would find their way up for the bacon sarni, whatever else they were <laughs> yeah. having, and be very courteous and polite in order to have that breakfast with you. <laughs> followed by myself on a bike ride with the dogs yep. who failed to move on yep. towards the bike ride would stop out the catering trucks and, <laughs> and then Gwyneth would later on appear who was married to Don the gardener yeah, in, yeah. Her, in her little mobile you know yeah. little machine with her little dog to have a chat to everybody there was a lovely rhythm to the day actually it, it, it was fun it, it, and it wasn't well it was work obviously it was work but over the years it just became fun the characters Eddie the gamekeeper Keith in his red truck Pat the painter every, you know it was just you got to know everyone, and everyone helped each other out. It was it was it was it was great. And that came about as a result of of the longevity of the show yeah, being based here, and it wasn't a a passing seasonal visit. And that's how you came to know the characters and the people involved, and how Highclere came to know uh, the Downton family, yeah. uh, and then it all merges together. But what people may not understand that, that have listened to Lady Carnarvon's series of podcasts is actually what your role entails. I trust you can still go and do your shopping and not be pestered, <laughs> Where, whereas no. a lot of the, you may think so. <laughs> that's for other reasons. But a, a lot of people involved in the, in the show on the other side of the camera, their lives have changed significantly. But the filming day and what, what people see on the camera takes a lot of work from yeah. your department to actually make that happen. And it is an extended day, as Lady Carnarvon's alluded to. There's certainly a good hour before the cameras start rolling yeah. and a good hour afterwards. But what are you doing as a location manager? On Saturday on Downton, you know, I'm sort of the go-between between production and the house. Throughout the series, we'd obviously try and do things bigger, do things better, you know, bring in big camera cranes, vehicles with cameras on. And, you know, and trying to shoot in a grade one listed building, sometimes you've got to be careful. It, it takes a lot yes. of planning. You've got fantastic pieces of art. You've got 
statues, you know, littered around the around the house. And um, littered? Well, not littered. <laughs> the wrong, you know what I mean? You know, scattered around the house. Sometimes, you know, with camera cranes, you know, these things are heavy. We, you know, we have like camera dollies, big lights. The lights get hot. And if we're trying to shoot in in the saloon, for example, or on the staircase, where we've had several issues over the years, haven't we? Trying to shoot on there. Uh, yes, because as you say, the staircase. I would say that there is lovingly and thoughtfully placed a statue, <laughs> but it clearly is littered there. Littered there. Um, Scat- you know what I mean. You know. Yeah. And yes, all these considerations had to be taken on board. Once we'd got through those multiple meetings, our days were framed by the filming Bible that used to come out, that we used to have to sit down and go through. But I think our interaction was always going to be that of of potential friction points, because you as production were trying to do something that inherently the building couldn't accommodate. Yeah, we were trying to push it to the max. find a way yeah. to make that work yeah and uh, inevitably my most used answer to you was no <laughs> i'd even get to the stage now where they'd ask me a question and i would say i'm not even going to put it to the house <laughs> i know the answer's no but i think over the years and i think and i always think about this because i'm working on another show at the moment where they were asking me about breakages and did we ever break anything at high clear when we were shooting there you did on the first day on the very first that? day in the yeah. library and the blue <laughs> chest green fell off. It was bluey green turquoise similar <laughs> colour to your how about yeah, that can often turn blue when she walked and found the I mean accidents happened yeah. it was on the very first day and before the, even the funny thing out. was that my husband had walked round with Geordie walked round the night before and said to me darling should we leave this here do you think it's rather a beautiful little casket on yeah. the on the nose table the one which John was hiding behind in the Kanye West <laughs> scene from the early podcast and um, I said I'm sure it'll be fine yeah. darling it's part of the house and then by nine o'clock <laughs> the next day you dropped a camera. I think that was it. And I think, you know, and I thought, oh, no, we're doomed. But I think you, when you look back over the years, in bearing in mind, you know, we went to 70 days and there was a crew of what, 80 people, 75, 80 people in yeah, the house? On, on an sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes a lot. lot if we had press or, you know, um, yeah. another unit. You know, it's not a lot but, more But, you know, people. I think accidents happen. The only thing, there's one thing which which will always remain with me is vaguely irritating. Do you think, do you think, well... Was it the mahogany table? Ironing the table. Ironing the table. Ironing the table. And that then was... when the costume department said it wasn't us, I was like, there's iron marks on the table. <laughs> and you and were we in ch- the front. And we chopped it up to get it to the right <laughs> Of course, it's only right to conclude this special edition podcast with Julian Fellows. And he gave us a little bit of a sneak preview behind the scenes, which, again, I hope you'll enjoy. So many of your lines, Julian, have just gone into the English language (laughs) around the world. And, of course, one of them is, what is a weekend? And the way Maggie delivered it was just extraordinary. But when you wrote it, what was your thoughts behind it? What did you think? How did you think you were going to deliver it? Well, I was really quoting from a great aunt of mine who told me the story that a very uppity young man had been trying to sort of impress her and brag about this, that and the other. And he used this word, which at that time was not in general use among that group. Uh, And they used to talk about Saturday to Monday, uh, even though it usually ran from Friday to Tuesday, but nevertheless. Uh, and, And it was considered a bit naff. And so she decided, of course, she knew what a weekend was, but she decided to put him down by saying, what is a weekend? And thereby plunging a pin into his bubble. And when Matthew was banging on about being, uh, I'll be a solicitor and I'll do this and I'll do that. And of course, to Maggie, Maggie's character, uh, Violet, 
the mere fact that Matthew was sitting at that table at all was an insult uh, and impudence in itself. It was ridiculous that he was inheriting this ghastly young man from nowhere. And so she was looking for a way to put, it, put him down. And when I was constructing the scene, this line came back to me. But where you get it, uh, so it was so memorable, it's in Maggie's playing. Because she plays it under. She doesn't whack it out like a handbag or something, you know, one of those shouty lines. She, she just drops it in. What is weekend? And, and it was so funny that as she did it, I was there when they were filming that scene. And as she did it, I thought, I bet that lands. I never like to be overconfident, you know, when people say, oh, this is going to do But um, I was pleased with that. And then again, as, as you were saying, it popped up on 100 million T-shirts. And I, I felt that was a sort of praise, really. I often wonder what is the genie in the bottle for Downton Abbey, Julian? And I... Not really sure I know where to start. Do you have any thoughts about it? Well, obviously, I have thought about this because uh, I've often been asked, yes. you know, why do you think <laughs> down there? Oh. And I have thought about it. But for me, it was an absolute moment of good fortune in the combination. I mean, when I was a little boy, I used to sometimes play at cooking in the kitchen. Uh, and everything, there were little grey lumps would come out of the oven, and, you know. And then one day I made perfect eclairs. And my mother said, how did you do this? How did you make these? Of course, I had no idea. I just threw everything in and, and a perfect eclair came out. And, and I think that was an analogy, really, that we got the perfect cast. The house was absolutely ideal. Uh, the script seemed to work. The timing was right. The public, uh, which is, you know, very much what uh, Peter at ITV, Peter Fincham, very much yes. what Peter Fincham at ITV had thought, mm -hmm. that the, the general consensus that period drama was dead was wrong and the public was ready for a new period drama they could get involved in. And I think all of those elements came together and made a hit show. So I don't think you can take out one bit and say that was the reason it was a hit. I think the music was perfect. We were very lucky with the costumes. Uh, you know, on and on it went. We, we were pretty lucky with the weather. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, it just happened right. It did, but I think it's all about the detail, isn't it? A sense of place and timing and... I'm incredibly grateful to have been part of the journey. I know Geordie is as well. And I think the whole team at Highclere has much enjoyed it. It's, it's given this life and heart and optimism, actually, I think, has come through it. Well, I hope it's an optimistic show. Yes. I mean, I feel that, that, that all of these people, even the ones you don't like much, they're all <laughs> doing their best. They're trying, given the cards they've been dealt, you know, like all of us, we're dealt certain cards... And you try to play them as well as you can. And I, I think that's true of Robert Grantham. And I think it's true of Mrs. Patmore. I mean, I, I think they're just doing their best. I completely agree. I think there's also an underlying kindness and sense of community running through it. And I think particularly after the last 18 months, Julian, those those sort of intangible qualities and assets in our lives, much of which has been stripped away, are incredibly important. We do all recognise that. So I think the appetite continues, is all I'll say. Well, let's hope. <laughs> well, we'll see where the journey goes. I'm not sure it's entirely finished, I have to say. <laughs> oh, well, there's another mouthful we do know. We do. In, in the new film. 
and I hope people enjoy it. I'm sure they will. I can't wait to see it. Anyway, thank you for having me. Oh. I've enjoyed this. I love this room. This room is one of my favourites in Britain. And I love the fact that we've made it even more famous than it was already. I started the podcasts during the time of COVID, but I hope they've become a wonderfully interesting library of the real people and the real community here at Highclere. But today, the ones I've referenced are 43, number 41, and number 20 with Sparky and John. So I hope you enjoy what you've listened to today, and do have a look at some of the other episodes.